Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist. Are you copying not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 166, brought to you by the Five Folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, are you ready to lacerate your kidney in a show of support and solidarity with Zach Ertz? Are we doing this thing right now live on the podcast? I've already done it. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, if you really love the Eagles, Mike, if you really love the Eagles, I'm just shocked my new nickname did not make oh, it into the opener. You had a fun time on Twitter yesterday <laughs> with Lewis Riddick talking about the the Carson Wentz throw and talking about, oh, this throws MVP caliber or not, which is a- I should have known not to get I, into the slop. I should have known. I told you. Just never- and, like, the thing is, like, I don't care if it's MVP caliber right. or not. It's a good throw. I don't know why I engaged. It's a pointless debate. One that you created for I'm yourself. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> usually you're better. Usually you're smarter than that. I know. I literally, and that's the thing is, like, I didn't, like, do it. I'm like, yo, I should throw a shot across the bow of Lewis Reddick. I was like, oh, I disagree with whoever it is that just said this. Like, I, like, did not even process. I was just like, there's a screenshot. Yeah. It's not that. It's a great throw. It's not that crazy of a throw. Because I've been a little... Carson Wentz powered the Eagles to the last four wins. <laughs> what he's doing is unbelievable. It's Doug. It's Doug and Mike Grow, and nobody wants to talk about Mike Grow. People right. hate Mike Grow, but it's the offensive designs. Carson, the best thing Carson's done is get out of his own way. That's okay. And we've talked. We've talked about Carson Wentz playing a lot better since the the two games. Right. We talked about that specific play specifically, saying, "Hey, this is a really." Cool design and a great read by Carson. There's nothing wrong with it. That's the thing. Is like <laughs> we talked about it on the Monday recap show. Yep. Doug freaking Peterson talked about it on Eagles game plan. <laughs> and you were here on Thursday calling an MVP cap. We don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. But it's okay. Yep. Do whatever you want. Here we are. I don't but care. I, Live your dreams. The thing that surprised me as soon as you tweeted, I'm like, oh, this is trouble. Because the, I, I know how you were saying it. And I know how Lewis was going to take it because if you didn't think that Lewis Riddick was going to come hard in the paint, <sighs> you haven't been following Lewis Riddick on Twitter. I so. just <laughs> think, but like, listen, honestly, and yeah. people like responded to Lewis's tweet back to me like, oh my God. And I sent it to you and I was like, okay, explain to me what he's saying. Cause I thought he was very polite. Right. Thought he was like, I don't really know or care why you think what you think, but I'm assuming you've watched it before. Watch it again. And if you disagree, that's fine. But like, I think, and he was like, consider what the defense is, consider this. I thought he was like, like, he was like, 
He said, I assumed you've watched it before, which to me is a huge victory. Right. Because usually when you get smacked on Twitter, it's like, hey, try to watch the film, you idiot. (laughs) And I didn't get that. And so I was like, thank you. That was kind. But it turns out people didn't think it was kind. You know, people like to get involved on the on the dunking or perceived dunking or whatever the case is. They all want to pile on. That's that's how Twitter works. Anyway, so enough of that discussion. We had to address it because it was like the talk of the you were the toast of the town last night. Nips McGee. And all that. Which is like, I, there was one dude in my mentions, for those of you not on Twitter, <laughs> who my Twitter profile involves my face, but mm. also one of my nipples quite prominently for reasons we do not need to go into right now. <laughs> and so whenever people who don't follow me get upset with me on Twitter for one of my takes, they almost invariably hit me with, like, all right, nipple boy, shut up. Like, <laughs> you look at your nipples out here on a, on, on Twitter. And this one guy was just arguing with with some of our listeners in the mentions for like hours. <laughs> and he was just shocked that like nobody else seemed to notice my nipples were in the photo. So he kept on bringing them up. And at one point he called me Nips McGee, which was hilarious. Which when Mina Kimes was the one that told you to make make that profile pick, which is not, yes. you got to have a talk with Mina about that. Well, that's the thing is like, is, is like, I don't take this seriously. Like I take my job seriously, but I don't take this seriously. Yeah. So my profile photo could be, I don't care, whatever. So it's the photo of me and, and, and a nipple because it makes me laugh. Yeah. Everybody, like, whenever people are like, wow, this guy really thinks he can talk to Lewis Riddick about football and he's got his nipple out. Well, he's like, <laughs> is that really prohibitive? Like, is that as limiting of a factor as we think it is? But anyway. And you don't have a blue check mark. You haven't verified that it's actually you on right. Twitter. It, maybe if I got the nipple out of the photo, Twitter would be like, you know what? He's a professional now. And they would swing that blue check. <laughs> exactly. they just find something else. All right. So today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting our two-part preview series of the Eagles playoff matchup with the Seahawks. We'll be starting with the Seahawks offense against the Eagles defense. Quickly before we get to that, just a note on Jason Garrett, things are going exactly how we expected. He's out of there pretty much. NFC East, ton of turmoil, but the Eagles are in the playoffs and that's what we're focused on. Let's get to the uh, the injury report from Thursday. We're recording this early on Thursday and there is a note that I wanted to get to that kind of gives some context for Zach Ertz's uh, injury and why I mentioned the lacerated kidney. Jimmy Kemsky put this out as he was watching Doug's press or whatever it was. He said, Doug said Zach Ertz still hasn't been cleared for contact. That could still change tomorrow and if he gets cleared, he'll play, which is fascinating to me that it's even uh-huh. a discussion of him being able to play because we kind of figured he'd be out for the season with right. that injury. Well, and the chances of him being cleared, we don't know. I fully believe, 1,000% believe, this is a make Seattle prepare for Zach Ertz just in case. <laughs> right. So, because, and here's the thing, I say that with derision, right? Because usually you and I are like, but honestly, yeah. in the scope of the Eagles' current skill positions, Skill position players relative to Zach Ertz, yes, your game plan on defense does change pretty drastically with Ertz in or out. Right. Because look at the production from those two. Right. Who you cover on third down and red zone right. with Ertz in is Ertz. And who you don't, and like, you know, like, like, like it, it, Byron Jones traveled with Ertz. Stephon Gilmore covered Ertz. Mm-hmm. He's the best weapon. Tredavious White traveled with Ertz in right. key situations. I mean, he had 12 receptions for 91 yards and a touchdown against them. Dallas Goddard also had seven catches for 32 yards. Like, they're obviously going after the tight ends. Like you said, when you're looking at your third down menu, your your red zone menu is what you want to do as a defense. Right. Your number one job is to take care of Zach Ertz because he's the highest volume target right. for the Eagles in that situation. And, and, and now the frustrating thing is that it's not too difficult to generalize to take away the tight ends because with Ertz in... 
it's still going to be 12 with Ertz and Goddard, and those are going to be the primary red zone threats given the current state of the wide receiver room. And with Ertz out, it's not like they're going to go 11 heavy. They're not. They can't. So they're still going to go 12 with Josh Perkins, and their primary red zone threats are still going to be their tight ends. So you can kind of prepare for it in the general in that way, but obviously preparing for Josh Perkins and preparing for Zach Ertz are wildly different things. Mm. Wildly. Perkins is lean and fast and a wide receiver. Ertz is staunch, and he does wide receiver things, and they run similar routes, but they're different players. So... I firmly believe that we'll see if Zach Ertz gets cleared to play is we're going to make Seattle prepare for Zach Ertz for as long as conceivably possible. And while that tactic usually to me is like, whatever, Mm. I kind of get it in this context. You need to help your skill position players as as much as you can. So if there's even a way to say like, oh yeah, Ertz is healing from his bruised ribs, whereas really it's, you know, Ertz has got kidney problems and is not playing for the rest of the season. Right. Right. I mean, you know, do what you do what you can within the rules. Um, one thing that's objectively fascinating just with Eagles injuries in general is like we're literally one game away from getting Deshaun Jackson back. And <laughs> I have no idea what this offense is going to look like with him back, especially when you consider like there's not going to be Alshon and there maybe won't be Ertz. And like, right. It's just going to be so weird to reintroduce Deshaun to this team yeah if and when we get there it would be absolutely bizarre to see and that's kind of what we're holding out hope on and the Eagles get lucky because they go up against a team I mean the two teams in the in the playoffs that are the most banged up are very obviously the Eagles and the Seahawks right now everyone else is way more healthy Do you know Minnesota has every single one of their starters on offense that's what I mean that's obnoxious how (laughs) dare you can you imagine what the Eagles offense would look like if they had every available starter gall of having a fully healthy unit i'm what a bunch of dicks all right so (laughs) let's get to the eagles injury report again this is from thursday so we have miles sanders with the low ankle low ankle sprain or low grade ankle sprain whatever it is uh dealing with the ankle he did not participate nelson Aguilar again with the knee just put the guy on ir limited participation uh defensive end Derek Barnett still dealing with the ankle that he's picked up a few weeks ago. Defensive tackle Fletcher Cox again shows up with the triceps, but he's been playing through that. Uh, Zach Ertz, quote-unquote, limited participation. Yeah, my man was standing on the sidelines, sweetie. Offensive tackle Lane Johnson with an ankle. He's still dealing with that high ankle sprain. Hopefully the Eagles get the, get him back. Otherwise, they have to shift around the rotation a little bit, and it starts to get a little uncomfortable. Full participation. Sidney Jones with the back. From carrying the defense, I would imagine, a cornerback, Avante Maddox with the abdomen, and then uh, cornerback uh, Jalen Mills with ankle. All those three cornerbacks were full participation. Moving on to the uh, the, the Seahawks, got a, got a big one as far as guys that didn't participate on, on Thursday. Uh, obviously, offensive tackle Dwayne Brown with the knee and biceps is a big one, and I don't really expect him to play, which would be big for the Eagles. Wide receiver Jerome Brown with the knee was out. Jadavion Clowney still trying to come back from that core muscle issue that he's got, but we expect him to play. Offensive guard Mike Upati with the neck. Linebacker Michael Kendricks is done with uh, with the knee. I think it's believed he tore his ACL, if I'm not mistaken. And then wide receiver Malik Turner with a concussion. All those guys did not participate. Limited was offensive guard Phil Haynes. It just says head injury. I'm not sure what that is. Center, Joey Hunt with an uh, injury to his uh, fibula, which is interesting if he's banged up, and we'll talk about that when we get into the matchups, that's that's 
that's really fascinating. Full participation, Quandre Diggs with an ankle. He's a big part of that defense. If they can get him back, that would be big for them. Tight end Luke Wilson with a hip. Uh, ben, any major takeaways before we move on to the traditional preview style that we do here? Mikey Opat is a huge deal, mm. and it doesn't read like it is, but it is. So Dwayne Brown being a no is important. I would not say Brown is playing like out of his mind mm. in recent weeks or anything like that. But Dwayne Brown is still the best lineman that they have healthy if and when he's healthy, right? So if you take Brown and Iopati off of this team, you're taking away the whole left side of the line, right? Now, they usually play next to Joey Hunt, who's the center that we had a, a few laughs at his expense on the first Seahawks preview podcast, which he's was a... A couple months ago. He's played better. He's not good. He's played better. <laughs> he's, he's still not, not very good. And if he's going up against Fletcher Cox, we He's know. not getting big boy by Fletch, but he right. played a big boy like Fletch in a hot second. Yeah. So, <laughs> with no Brown, George Fant. With no Eupati, either Jamarco Jones or like Jordan Roos. Right. Because probably no Phil Haynes. No Hunt, Jordan Roos. And then it's Fluker, who's solid. And Fetty, who's been playing awful. The last two weeks. Mm -hmm. No way this dude's healthy. Because for a second there early in the season, if any, if I remember correctly, was like, oh, this is not awful. Yeah, he was better. This is better than it was. Yeah. Bad, 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 bad the last few weeks. Now, why is Iopati stick out to me? Because Seattle, in week 17 against the Niners, ran zone a lot more than I saw them run zone the first time I watched through their film. And I watched the week 17 film specifically because... I wanted to get a feel for what could change in this offense and the way that they want to run the football without Rashad Penny, without Chris Carson. Now you've got Travis Homer in the building. Travis Homer is still a decently sized running back. He was a sixth round pick out of Miami. He's like, I would say 5'11", 200, yeah, he's right? Big. He's not huge, but he's, he's fine sized back. But they do not have this guy working power concepts. And it's mostly because he's not very agile. He's not a good change of direction player. He's better on a straight line. And people think zone means you're, you're quick and agile and power means a straight line. And power can mean that depending on what exactly you're blocking. Like just generally power blocking concepts can be variable. But really, zone is what gives you the ability to put a guy on a line, have him make exactly one cut, and then stay on that line and pick up positive yardage. And Homer had a decent game against the Niners. He was not unproductive. Yeah. And it's because he's got good explosiveness and he had made good decisions in between the tackles running inside zone. So they ran more zone. I, I remember in the first Seahawks preview podcast, I talked about when Seattle gives you zone flow, it's typically play action. When they give you uh, a puller, it's typically a run. That generally held true for the first Eagles game. I don't think that key is the case in the second Eagles game with Homer in the backfield. So what does this bring us back to? By a mile, Iupati is their best zone blocker. Their most productive runs came off of his combos and his doubles. He's the most veteran player. Fluker's a, a, a veteran as well. He's the most veteran player who spent the most time in zone. This offensive line is built. Ifedi, Fan, Fluker, who's huge. Uh, Jamarco Jones, if he has to play in, these guys are built to pull and hit. They are built to run power. They are not built to get on their on the on the hoof and run zone. Right. This is not the way the offensive line was designed. So you have backup players blocking a scheme that they typically don't block, or a backup running back running a scheme that he doesn't typically run. And if you take away Seattle's running game, number one, you encourage them to pass, which is bad news. That's bad. But <laughs> they stick to it. This is a team that has shown demonstrably 
under Brian Schottenheimer and, 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 and Pete Carroll that if you make it hard for them to run, they will keep running. <laughs> this does not matter. Right, they, they have no, they have no issues. So I encourage you go through. San Francisco running plays. Travis Homer, 11-yard run in quarter three. His outside zone with a crackback. Mikey Upato climbs to the second level, takes takes out the 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 the, the closing safety, springs the run uh, as a 14-yarder in the third quarter as or the fourth quarter I think as well. Uh, it, it's inside zone to the left. Iupati combos nose tackle up to the strong side linebacker, springs the run. They need Iupati to run zone. They may not have him. And if they if they lack three starters on the offensive line and their 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 players in the backfield, either one, they're gonna get smart, which they've never done, and they're gonna pass the football, or two, they're gonna continue continue to try to run with players who are not fit for their schemes. Mm. Which is huge. <laughs> so, you know, Potty and, and, and Brown, obviously, I don't think we think Brown's gonna play from what I'm like reading of what Seattle expects right but you potty is the one that really sticks out to me as will be a big issue for this team if they need to be able to run zone and so uh you know what whatever the backups will be i know ethan pochick was limited jamarco jones was limited i have no idea what that five is going to be but this team was not constructed in the the paradigm of running zone they pulled it off in week 17 i think it'll be much harder against philadelphia in week 18 it's a really good team at fitting zone philadelphia is so Iupati is the big one that sticks out to me for those schematic reasons. We have, we're not talking Seattle defense yet. Quandre Diggs being back is obviously huge for them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but from an injury perspective, I'm so curious to see what these offensive linemen look like moving into Friday. Oh, and that's If the Eagles win, it's by winning that trench. And the Seattle offensive line has not been great this year. They have not, and they have kind of gotten worse and well. And, and we know that Russell Wilson likes to hold on to the ball, and, and that kind of invites pressure on its own. But you look at the past four weeks, he's been under pressure 36%. 35%, 35%, and then 48% against the 49ers. He was under pressure. That's healthy. So 49ers blitzed like you wouldn't believe, right? right? Like every passing down, they were like, hey, what if we sent literally everybody? Right. And that's one thing that you can do when you have coverage guys in the back end, right. which San Francisco probably has coverage guys in the back end that Philadelphia doesn't have. So we acknowledge that. With that being said, PFF actually put out a, a, a really cool little graphic. It was Eric Eager, who's a good follow. He's been on the pod, um, which was number of pass rushers used versus time to throw. And it showed that Philadelphia, uh, uh, when Philadelphia's defense is on the field, quarterbacks have like the sixth, seventh lowest time to throw of any quarterback in the league. So on average, quarterbacks throw it very fast against Philadelphia. We knew this. What we didn't know is that Philadelphia also has about the sixth, seventh highest number of rushers used on any given down, which is to say Philadelphia was using somewhere around like 4.4 rushers, 4.35 rushers a down. Mm. Again, six, seventh highest in the league. So this, they're consistently bringing five, six. So that's what Philadelphia is going to do. They're going to bring five and six. What San Francisco did, which Philadelphia must, must, must do, is they blitzed the back. Where at, where the, Yes. Where if the back, if, if they knew they were getting the back in protection, if they knew they could force slide away and get the back to fill the B gap. That's where they sent pressure. Travis Homer, rookie sixth rounders, barely seen playing time as a special teamer. Yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah, brother. We're plumbing right at him. And the thing is, like, when, when you're blitzing off that left side as well, you're getting yourself George Fan a backup. It's an ideal situational blitz when you have players next to each other who don't typically play next to each other who can't exchange twists, stunts, games as easily. Um, but then they they really tried to expose Homer in pass protection. They were successful multiple times. So you got to be – the Eagles are going to blitz. And this is a game where you should blitz. You got to be able to win your one-on-one coverage on the back end. If the Eagles give up a couple big passes to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I'll get over it. Right. Because if they rushed four, they still would. 
as long as they're getting sacks mm-hmm. to kill drives on top of it. I think that's the best formula. Yeah, you get a, you get a sack and you're killing a drive at about an 83% rate. And I talked about this on the QB Sco Show in terms of the debate between blitzing Russell Wilson or playing coverage. The Eagles ranked 19th for blitz percentage this year, which is higher than I can remember from Jim Schwartz. And he goes from game to game deciding whether or not he wants to unleash it or not. And I think we're going to see a mix from him in this game too. I think we see the green dogs you know, being utilized again, the two-on-one funnels as well. And they'll use Malcolm Jenkins as a blitzer in those cases. So like for instance, if a running back stays in, Maybe it might be Travis Homer. Jenks gets the green light or on funnels. It depends on which side the back releases to. If he releases to Jenkins' side, for example, Jenkins will take him in coverage and a guy like Nigel Bradham will go ahead and go. And if the back releases to Bradham's side, Jenkins would get the green light on a delayed blitz. You'll see more five-man surfaces. Again, that'll be a thing for the Eagles that they used in Week 12. They'll probably use in this matchup. These were effective in getting Fletcher Cox one-on-one with center Joey Hunt, which is a clear advantage my one of the biggest advantage you'll see all year for Fletcher Cox and the Seahawks have really struggled with stunts lately as you mentioned I think Schwartz will mix them in with the blitz and use three-man stunts and will also use games up front when they only rush four and try to stress the communication and harmony of a unit that's probably going to miss be missing Dwayne Brown as Shil Kapadia of the Athletic said it is feast or famine for both sides in the blitz game in terms of production Wilson has 23 completions of 20 plus yards when blitzed. That's that ranks fifth in the league, but he's also sacked at the second highest rate. And that's kind of what we were talking about. You're going to get some explosive plays if you are aggressive. We can live with those if you also get the sacks to end drives. And for their part, the Eagles blitz produces a sack at the seventh highest rate, but they also allow 7.1 net yards per pass play which is 27. So this is exactly what you said. It's good, it's bad, but there is never a dull moment with these two in that regard. All right, when we come back here on the Kiss and Select Show, we'll continue to break this down and we'll give our prediction on points for the Seahawks in this matchup for their offense. That's coming up next here on the Kiss and Solak Show. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smart Water Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. And we are back here on the Kissed and Solak Show, episode 166. SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. We are breaking down the Seahawks offense against the Eagles defense. Ben, let's pull it back a little bit. We'll talk about some overall things, how these offenses and defenses are trending. And looking at the Seattle offense that inexplicably only scored 17 points in the Week 12 matchup against the Eagles, thanks to some pretty doggone good fortune, if we're being honest. But on the year, they finished 5th in DVOA, ninth in points per game. That's been trending this down This offense lately. was 5th in DVOA? Yeah. And they were like only like 16th or 15th in EPA per play. So there's like... It's, that's the Russell Wilson effect there, brother. Yeah. And they've been trending down lately. They're like, they're kind of schizophrenic in a way since they've, uh, since, since the bye. They've put up 21 points or less against the Eagles, Rams, Cardinals, and 49ers. But they hung 30 on the Panthers, 37 on the Vikings. So you really don't know which offense will show up. And their DVOA variance reflects that too, coming in at 27th in terms of stability from week to week. So they're pretty scattershot. They're a top 10 red zone team, middle of the pack on third down, 
I really think they could increase their output on offense if they were more aggressive on fourth down, where they're the third least aggressive team in the NFL. And I believe that's part of why you get these weird tight games all the time, regardless of the opponent. If they weren't so conservative, they put up more points, but I don't have to explain this to an Eagles listener. We already know the benefits of it. Offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer is known for his love of the running game, and that's probably the biggest change on offense in this game because both Chris Carson and Rashad Penny are out for the season, and in place of them, as you mentioned before, comes the return of Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch, and also more usage of Travis Homer. And when I look at this, like if we see the Seahawks do what they did against the Bucks, and this is something we talked about in the last preview show too, way back against the Bucks, they came out with this really nice passing attack and said, hey, we're going to put up points on the board, try and keep up. And while you're doing that, we're going to try to get this run game going. If they do that, that'll be a problem for the Eagles. And they have every reason to. It's really up to Seattle to decide what type of offense they want to be. And they have every reason to go pass heavy outside of the pressure that they're going to invite from it, which they can live with with Russell Wilson to an extent. Because when you when you look at the Seattle team, if they, if, if they see nine in the box, because you know Schwartz wants to be plus one in the box, if they see this and they still decide to run, you deserve to be in a close game. You deserve to lose because you're an idiot. The, the Eagles are going to give you every single reason in the world. And looking at your team, looking at your running back situation, the Seahawks have every reason in the world to be a pass-heavy team. Like If they only get 25 attempts from Russell Wilson in this game, it's going to be a tight game. If they get 40 to 45 attempts from him, this could be a track meet. And the Eagles don't have the dogs to win that race. They're just period. So it really depends on what Seattle wants to do. Right. It's very interesting. So like there was a uh, a tweet that went around that was like, what if we change the result of every single close game in the history of uh, or in this season? Right. Mm. And it showed that Seattle like it was like before week 16, I think. And it showed that like Seattle, instead of being like 11 and four, should have been like three and 12. Mm. Right. And it was like, whoa. Uh, and then Ty Schalter uh, for 538 wrote about, OK, what if we took games that were actually coin flip games? Where, like no team had a greater than. You know, 60% win percentage after, like, within the last five minutes of the game. What if we just changed those? And Seattle went five and one in those games. So, in Seattle, in super tight games, was super lucky this year. If they had changed, like, if you changed all those results, it would have been six and 10. They would have missed the playoffs, right? Same thing is even true for the Niners, right? Niners went seven and three in coin flip games. So, yep. a lot of the, so, so. I mean, it's the reason we said that the Cowboys would have regressed because they were fantastic in close games last year. They're like 10 and two or eight and two or whatever it was. And it totally flipped on their heads this year. It's, it's, it's not a sustainable type thing. Right. Now, there is a question of like, well, is, the, are they measurably good? In close games, such that we can predict a better than average performance. Right. Narratively, they are. Because what do you do in close games, Mike? You throw the football. Right. And Russell Wilson is really good. And we believe Seattle Seahawks are measurably better football team throwing the football as opposed to running and throwing the football in neutral game scripts. And Russell Wilson has four fourth quarter comebacks. He has five game winning drives to his credit. Both are tied for first in the league. Like, Russ is not going to be an issue when it comes to those close games. So, in other words, this is the spirit of let let Russ cook, which is the rallying cry of many members of of Seahawks Twitter and Seahawks fans who just, hey, we got a really good player. Let's let him do what he does best in in the games, in the situations where, you know, he should be able to do what he does best. So, (laughs) uh, sounds very obvious, whatever. So, what does this mean now in terms of what we expect game script-wise against Philadelphia? And this is uh, something that you see all over the film. If you watch the Seahawks and Eagles game in week 12, what does Brian Schottenheimer want to do? Brian Schottenheimer runs a West Coast offense. This is a, this is an offense that looks familiar to Philadelphia. They're going to line up in familiar sets. Why, why wing? 
two tight ends on the field. Even with the injuries of tight end, they put two guys out on the field, same as Philadelphia. They'll line up and nub trips, uh, you know, nub to the boundary, the back set to the nub side. They're going to put a, a different in similar situations. Then they're going to run similar concepts. They're going to run paired speed outs. They're going to run slant flat. They're going to run glance slants. They're going to run snag. Not as much as Philadelphia does, but they do. West Coast concepts running West Coast stuff. They're going to high-low you. It's not bad designs, but all of this being said, that you saw Russell Wilson against the Eagles in Week 12 consistently, invariably, with no concerns or qualm whatsoever, if he saw single high coverage, take outside nine routes. Mm -hmm. And that is objectively good process. That's good quarterbacking. If you are going to give me this route to the outside, one-on-one, I will take it. And I don't care if it's Malik Turner versus Ronald Darby, as it was in like the second quarter. I will get... Or it was David Moore. David Moore versus Ronald Darby. Yep. I will get 30 yards out of this play because I throw a good nine ball and Ronald Darby can't find the football, mm-hmm. right? So you go and they, they ran the wheel route to Jacob Hollister that he missed. They ran a, 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 an early shot to DK Metcalf that bounced off his hands. If Russ has one-on-one coverage down the field, he's empowered to and successful at taking it outside of structure. So I'm not even going to read front side. If I can read backside, you've given me one-on-one single high, I'm going to take it. Now, since week 12, Philadelphia has ran... I would assume, is I don't have numbers on this, maybe I'm wrong, less middle of the field closed, single high coverage, and more middle of the field open, two high coverage, I agree. than they did in that stint of the season. It's one of the changes they've made on the defense side of the football. They get into inverted cover two, they rotate to cover two uh, at the snap, they just line up in split field. They're still a base, middle of the field closed, single high team, but they've run more split field. When you have split field, is now you're able to take away those routes, and that's where Russ and the Seahawks are going to be able to work the intermediate routes. Now, they have not done a great job hitting those routes in recent weeks. If you can take away deep outside, you typically take away Metcalf because they don't run Metcalf in between the numbers on breaking routes that often. Well, that's a big deal because even with Tyler Lockett being back healthy, Given the injuries that they have to Malik Turner, given the injuries that they have to the the the, the Jerron, they don't use Jerron Brown that much. Uh, Josh Gordon's gone. They're throwing to David Moore and John Ursua across the middle of the field. Obviously Lockett as well. Like I, I acknowledge Lockett's getting those those targets, but it's Jacob Hollister, it's Jerron Brown, and it's John Ursua. That's that's the a result of the injuries that they've incurred at the tight end position and at the wide receiver position. That's where you want them to throw the football. This is not dissimilar to the situation that you were in when you were facing the Giants, not only a week ago, but also in the second half of the the Eli Manning game. Now, with Eli Manning, it was, we want him to throw against zone so we can rally and tackle. Russell Wilson is not Eli. He's much better than Eli. And with Russ, it's, we just don't want Russ to throw deep outside. We want to protect deep outside. Mike, in order to go too high, you have to take a player out of the box. Mm -hmm. Take a player out of the box, you lose strength against the running game. We know Jim Schwartz never wants to do it. So that's the concern. As uh, we brought up Shield's article, Shield tweeted out a, a, a some stats about the Eagles specifically against outside receivers this year. Yards allowed 32nd, explosive <laughs> receptions 29th, TDs 29th, yards per target 27th. Mm. So this Eagles defense ranked against outside wide receivers really, really quite bad. Now, if you want to solve that problem, you go too high. And you start losing to tight ends and slots. You start losing to in-breaking routes. And you start losing in the running game. If the Eagles don't want to solve the problem, they stay single high and they continue to lose to those outside receivers. It should be more obvious now than it was then, where 
the Seahawks are struggling to complete throws in between the numbers, where the Seahawks are struggling to run the football because Rashad Penny is gone, because Chris Carson is gone, because they're dealing with the injury on the offensive line. It should be more clear now that the recourse for this must-win playoff game is more split field coverage. It should be more too high. You should be neutral in the box. Seven players for seven gaps. Seven players for seven blockers. We'll see. You know, the refrain, if you want to be the Eagles, just throw it deep outside and eventually you'll make enough plays that you'll win. This is what the Seahawks did. They played a bad offensive game against the Eagles, but they got enough deep outside completions to convert on third down, to get chunk plays, to get into the red zone, and then kick field goals, score touchdowns, and win. So if you go and you look back at the Eagles-Seahawks game in Week 12, it's not a hard conclusion to say, oh, the Eagles should play more too high. They lost to deep outside routes. But in the face of overwhelming evidence to that point we've yet to see too much of a shift as i said we've run more too high the hope is that they continue to do so and maybe they even do so at a a higher pace than we've seen previously that would be to me the best option here for philadelphia if they want to take away what seattle's going to be able to do best which is throw the nine ball and you bring up the week 12 matchup they put eight plus men in the box oh about 50 percent of the time against rashad penny again according to next gen stats that needs to change this i mean penny's not in this game but you see what i'm saying as far as their dedication to being plus one in the box and when you look at the matchups we forget tyler lockett played this game but tyler lockett was not healthy they weren't sure if he was going to play as such only had two targets one reception for 38 yards next week didn't have any receptions he was this guy just wasn't healthy And since then, you know, I mean, against Carolina, he had eight receptions, 120 yards. I think he gives either Avante Maddox, Sidney Jones, Cravon LeBlanc, whoever it is, all these guys have been playing better recently. I think he gives them fits out of the slot, too. So it's not just on the outside. But, yeah, on the outside, DK Metcalf against who? Rasul Douglas against Jalen Miller. I don't care who it is. I think it's a a solid matchup for the Seattle Seahawks. And along with the matchups here, you know, you watch the Seattle – Seahawks offense on third down and I went through all their third down specifically against the 49ers and they were always bringing crossers across the formation so the Eagles are going to have to find a way to get connected with these guys and run with them 20 to 30 yards screaming across horizontally the formation and I don't feel great about that and they'll, other, they'll run other basic things too like stick which they ran a couple times on third uh, third down successfully on a drive they'll also let DK Metcalf use his size on comeback routes which is just a pain Uh, Even if he's not a natural separator, he's got the play strength to escort the quarterback up the field at the break and create a window. And and Mark Schofield brought this up on the QB Sco show, and and (laughs) you could see it. Scramble drills, DK Metcalf is fantastic with Russ. I mean, he's running 25-yard deep comebacks as like, okay, I'm going to run this nine route, but if Russell breaks the pocket 25 yards down the field, I'm hitting the comeback, and he's like right on the same page with Russ. So he's just a pain in the butt. And like we said in the last one, the Eagles ball skills, DK Metcalf is covered. I don't care. He's so much bigger than everyone else. So that's going to be a pain in the butt for them as well. It is noteworthy, and I always check this with uh, PFF, that the Eagles had the largest advantage on the defensive line against the Seattle Seahawks offensive line in terms of their, their pass rush. So if you can get consistent heat on Wilson and the blitz is going to take away some of those escape lanes for him, you can possibly, possibly force a bad game out of Russ. We'll see what happens. The coverage on the back end needs to hold up as well. But as we look at the line here, the line has shifted significantly since the open. The the Eagles opened as favorites at home, and now the Seahawks are one and a half point favorites 
against the Eagles. The over-under is at 45. So what is that? 20, we'll go 20, 23 to 22. Yeah, we'll go 23 to 22 is what Vegas is saying it's going to be. They're saying that the Seahawks would have 23 points. Ben, hit any uh, other points you want to hit and then predict if the uh, the Eagles hold the Seahawks to under or over 23 points. The Seahawks, the explosive plays, we talked about this the first time, talked about the second time. When Seattle crosses the 50, play action pass. Often with a deep route. This team is V predictable. And like, so sometimes they'll they'll do, okay, so they'll they'll do like play action pass when they cross the 50, 13-yard comeback to Tyler Lockett against one-on-one coverage, cool. But other times it'll be like they'll run it. And they'll get to, you know, inside the 40. They'll run, they'll be in the 40s. And they'll get uh, explosive run inside the 20s. Immediate play action deep shot. Every time. I'm tell it's weirdly predictable. I don't like, they're very fine with it being obvious. But anyway, once the Seahawks get into Eagles territory on neutral game script, like not, you know, not um two minute warning, not like winning by 14 with two minutes left. They did it four times against Philadelphia. First play got up to the 50 play action pass. Just for fun, in case you're wondering what I'm going to be watching for. So there's that. That's yeah, good. Eagles do not hold the Seahawks to 23. And it's, by the way, the, the weather is looking like it's going to be around 30 degrees. It's going to be pretty chilly. You got a harder ball to deal with. Uh, no rain. No, I don't think it's going to be big time wind. So it really doesn't really impact things. I wanted to give you that context before you give your final prediction. Because you seem like you're struggling. You want to, You need a second to pray on it? I think it's going to be less than 23. I think 23 is the right number. Right, yeah. I think that they scored 17 and they should have, should have scored 30. But the Eagles defense is playing better and the Seahawks offense is playing worse. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball consistently at all. At all. I agree. Which means they have to move it through the air. Which is like, oh no, Russell Wilson has to move it through the air. That's good news for them, right? Yeah, but they're not good at moving it through the air. They don't consistently do it. They still try to run. They're not smart. It's just, this is a not, like, everything we've talked about has been like, the coordinator should do this, but evidence says they shouldn't do it for both the Seahawks offense and the Eagles defense. So, like, who do you trust to be less of an idiot? That was very rude. I apologize, Brian. I apologize, Jim, friends of the show. I didn't mean that. You idiots. But, We're sorry. We're sorry. Yeah. It's just, like, I think these teams have their philosophies and their heart and set in them, and both would benefit tremendously in this game from relinquishing those philosophies. Weird, right? So, I think Seattle scores less than 23 points. I'm putting them. I, I think you're right. I think the right number is 23. So I'm going to be a coward. I'm going to push this. It is right at 23 for the Seattle Seahawks. I think the Eagles are able to get pressure. I think they are able to get Russell Wilson on the ground a good deal. But I think the big plays are there for them. And until the outside corners for the Philadelphia Eagles consistently shut down nine balls and show some ball skills and don't give up every nine route and post route on the planet, I, I mean, how can I really? say that they right. will shut all that down consistently that's not good football analysis but you know nope. we're pretty bad uh prognosticators so hopefully that's the case in this yeah one. we've been raw for the past few weeks early in the season we were solid in the past yeah. weeks we don't know what's going on i mean i got the whole reverse jinx thing going on so we'll see if i continue that this week it's uh it's born fruit so far but ben that is going to do it for the uh the seahawks offense against the eagles defense preview we'll be recording later today and getting that show to you as soon as possible but in the meantime ben Say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners. Joe Moorhead got fired by the Mississippi State Bulldogs. That's great, Ben. He was the offensive coordinator in Penn State. He's oh. like the RPO king. Oh, I'm just saying, if you're looking for guys that you want instead of Mike Rowe. Joe Brady. Watch 2018. Okay. 2017 Penn State. 2017. 20, okay. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to put the playoffs on hold. I'm going to watch that film and watch some Joe, Joe Brady crushing it. 
for LSU. All right. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Soul Life Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. This was the Seahawks offense against the Eagles defense. As we said, two units that don't seem to do what they're best at and what they need to do and what would be good for the team. So it should we should be in for a fun watch, a very frustrating watch, I'm sure, for both sides. This Eagles game, uh, we have another preview coming for it, of course, before the Sunday kickoff. That will be the Eagles offense against the Seahawks defense, which, of course, will delineate how and why Deontay Burnett will have a 100-yard receiving game in the weirdest storyline of playoff history. If you enjoy the show, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcasts. Uh, please make sure that you uh, submit that review as soon as you can, because once the season ends, we're hoping to pass the Eagles wide receiver regular season receiving numbers which i believe we have final and we need a couple hundred still so if you have not yet reviewed please review if you have not yet blackmailed your friends into reviewing do it but nicely not bad but do it please because we need them it's this important so my family is starving he's been michael kist on twitter at michael kist nfl that's k-i-s-t i've been benjamin solak on twitter at benjamin solak that's s-o-l-a-k I'm not saying the other name that I could potentially be called, no matter how much the listeners want to hear it. We appreciate you listening. Uh, Part two of the preview coming to your feeds. If not already, then very soon. We will catch you then. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. PG.